and welcome to the A to Z of Archaeology podcast. Today's episode is episode three, which is C, Cabinets of Curiosities. I'm Alice. I'm Nikki. And I'm Jenny. And yeah, we're glad to have Alice back after she disappeared last episode. Managed. The aliens let me go. Oh, lovely. That's what we want to hear. Okay, so we're going to start with what antiquarians are. Do we really know what the difference between antiquarians and archaeologists is? Um, I think roughly it's sort of science. And archaeologists, I think, tend to go in, dig somewhere and have very little base knowledge of what they're going for. Whereas antiquarians tended to try and prove something that was already a given fact. Yeah, I think archaeologists have more rules with what they're doing. Antiquarians are sort of just going in and it's a bit of a free-for-all. Bit of dynamite. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just what you have to follow the rules. Do it properly. Oh, I've just remembered when you said dynamite, you, I just remembered that Heinrich Schliemann exists and I'm now annoyed because <laughs> that dude. <laughs> That's an Oh God. Oh dear. Well, yeah, so even though today's episode is uh, Cabinets of Curiosity, we will be talking about antiquarians a lot because yeah. obviously they're quite interlinked and also, yes, it's all their fault. It's their <laughs> fault that we're here today. Thanks, guys. <laughs> we're going to end up at the end of today's episode talking about modern day museums and how they differ from Cabinets of Curiosities. Mm. Also how, you know, they're still pretty rubbish and they still have a lot of problems. Yes. Yeah. So should we get into some specific antiquarians that people might be learning about in their course or just some prominent ones that some people might know of? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So like a lot of them are pretty much, they're, they're cabinets of curiosities were essentially the building blocks that quite a lot of big museums have been built on. So you've got Sloane, who sort of started the British Museum, um, Elias Ashmole with the Ashmolean Museum, Pitt Rivers is another big one. The Liverpool Museum as well was built on a cabinet of curiosity. It's, it's sort of all that that set it off. Yeah, the British Museum was based on Sloane's stuff. Yeah. So I suppose and then um, the Ashmolean and all of the stuff there was stolen from John Tedeskin by Ashmole. That's really sad. Like his name is on it, and it's right. stuff. Tedeskin had like willed it all to his wife, who after his death was supposed to donate it to like Oxford Council or something. And I'm not really sure what no what happened was um, I think his wife died as well, and then when she died, um, Ashmole bought the house that they lived in and kind of nicked the collection and was like, you can have it, you can have it, but like, it's me, it's my collection. Put my name on it, thank you very much. So he just nicked it. That's sneaky. But part of that collection was like a really ornately decorated cloak that belonged to Pocahontas' dad. What, the actual Pocahontas? Yeah. Oh, damn. Right? Which he nicked from him. I mean, I'm presuming oh. that was Nick to start with anyway. No, that's what I'm saying. He nicked it for Bob dad. Yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, you can't really feel that bad for him because like everything mm. he had stolen was already stolen. So yeah, yeah. Okay, I guess. Yeah, to be fair, I suppose at least Ashmole wasn't going out and stealing more stuff. No, he did have his own collection. Oh, he just okay. Liked, um, he just liked uh, Tradescan's collection a bit more. It was better than his. Oh, great. That's what Very we thought. want. Love that as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They were all a little bit on the dodgy side, antiquarians, weren't they? Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. They were doing naughty things. And, um, Should we kind of cover what like a cabinet of curiosity actually is and what? Yeah, so a cabinet of curiosity was basically just a collection of things that interested the collector, I guess. So it was natural history, archaeology, some religious things, you know, like I don't know, bits of toenails from various popes and stuff. Um, they had mythical creatures in there. So they would occasionally be like, oh, look, it's a unicorn horn, or here yeah, I've got a mermaid, and it was all stuff that had been made up. Um, I think it was more things to... I'm not sure necessarily whether they believed it. I think a lot of it was shock value. Like, they'd bring their friends in and be like, look at what I've got, isn't this cool? Because um, they were set out so ornately. Like, they had beautiful cabinets, like Baroque-era cabinets and stuff, for all these things to sit in. They'd really ornately painted rooms and the ceilings were all gorgeous and stuff. So I think a lot of it was sort of showing off that I've got the wealth and the means to put this together. Yeah, it was all about showing off to people. Yeah. But then like towards the end of the 17th century, it became more focused on science and just showing off. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there was a definite so shift. You could say a lot of the knowledge we have, especially on like natural science and animals comes from that, so. And that's yeah, sort of when yeah. it starts becoming museums and you walk into that territory. Mm, I still think, like, I think one of the ways which antiquarians are described is the way that they did things was a lot more descriptive than explanatory. Mm. And there was a lot of times they'd say, oh, it's, it's fact, we don't deal in theory. But they were dealing in theory because they were taking the artifacts and the evidence and stuff and making theories from them. So I don't really know. They were so obsessed with like, we're doing solid science here that they were actually just forgetting that actually they were just kind of theorizing what was going on. Yeah. And then a lot of it had to I fit a narrative that they kind of already had in their heads because they wanted yeah. to display themselves, especially from their travels as like a hero and stuff. But obviously if you're mm. just going around nicking stuff, you kind of have to reframe that and maybe tell a few lies. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Obviously, the grand tours were quite a big part of the whole thing, which was a big rich white man thing to do. Yeah. I did love a grand tour. Yeah, you get to a certain age and you go off and tour all of the people who are less rich than you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go visit all the people that you're exploiting. Yeah. Gotta love a grand tour. Yeah. yeah. But I think later on, like in the Cabinets of Curiosity, once this the sciencey bit started to come in, they started to like sort of separate the natural rock formation. You know, if they get like stone tools or whatever, they did yeah. start to separate the natural from the I don't want to say cultural, but that's the best it's way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. So man-made versus naturally occurring stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because before that, they sort of just lumped them all in together. But I think sometimes they did get it wrong. Do you know? Do you remember? I think they got 
before about this when they thought the stone axes were like thunderbolts or something. Yeah. I don't really know where it came from, but they, yeah, they really got that one a bit wrong. <laughs> I think they were having a bit of fun with it sometimes. Yeah, just having a great time. Yeah. A lot of them tended to, because you know how antiquarians had this sort of obsession with ancient Greece and ancient Rome, because um, they sort of believed, didn't they, that these were the pinnacle of society and that everything after that was basically declining. So they held these um, like societies in such high esteem. That's what the cabinets of curiosities were essentially trying to do. Like they were trying to um, emulate ancient museums or ancient collections, like the Library of Alexandria and um, stuff like that. And I think there was, I was reading a PhD by um, a woman called Bowery, and she was saying that they like the word museum sort of came from the Greek based off the muses um, like the, the goddesses of the arts and stuff. And the idea was that they were trying to create similar collections to what the ancient Greeks would have had, especially with the library of Alexandria. Like that's where the, the museum word comes from. So really like even when we look at the history of a museum and its origins, it's just, it's not assumed that the knowledge in there is like, correct yeah an objective which i think we tend to do yeah we yeah for sure we definitely do at least modern modern times yeah but actually looking at it it's a bit foolish to do that it is very foolish to do that because it all depends on that specific curator and that specific layout how things are perceived because even from the second you step into a museum you have all of your perceptions are basically guided by the way the museum's laid out. Yeah, it's all wrapped up in biases. Mm. Similar to the sort of the word of the museums being coming from, from Greek and the muses, I kind of want to talk about the word curiosities as well. So in this PhD thesis, Barry sort of talks about how um, curiosity was definitely used differently to how it is now. So now we kind of have this idea of you maybe go into this dark room and there's a unicorn horn and it's all these things that, you know, they're curiosities in the sort of more macabre sense, like dead animals and stuff. Whereas um, back then, curiosity was used more for, um, it was like a word to describe somebody who was in, was in search of knowledge as opposed to just looking for slightly weird things to sit in a, in a room. And it, it's kind of, I think... I think the whole idea of cabinets of curiosities has sort of been warped. So a lot of them probably have been been sort of more called out for their more racist and colonialist aspects, which is great. But I think there's also like another side to the cabinets of curiosities that tends to get left behind, especially in terms of um, like we sort of see it now as notable men collecting and stealing items from people when actually there were um, quite a lot of you know women and lower class people who did it as well for more of a um, knowledge-based approach hence the sort of the, the curiosity term mm -hmm. yeah and even in terms of some of the men like a lot of a lot of it was based in you know colonialism and racism but like oh, definitely with Cunnington and Colt Hoare, their work on like barrow excavations, even though they weren't particularly well done, <laughs> like they basically just sort of 
dug straight through yeah. it. It was like, let's just get some stuff. Uh, it did provide the foundation for our understanding of the Bronze Age in Southern Britain. So, like, yeah. they like not everything they did was bad. They did actually provide some of the foundations for modern day archaeology. Yeah. So. Hi everyone, Nikki here. I just thought I'd add in some information about another antiquarian that we forgot to mention whilst recording the podcast. Um, this is particularly interesting if you're into your Welsh history. So um, basically, if anyone knows anything about Welsh Eisteddfods, um, there's something called the Gorsedd Ceremony. Um, this is quite a big part of Eisteddfods now, and it has been for quite quite a few years, but it was originally made up by an antiquarian called Edward Williams, who was more commonly known as Yolo Morganug. Um, basically, he was sort of very taken by this idea of like a romanticised, traditional Welsh past, and was very much inspired by places such as Stonehenge, as many antiquarians of the time were. Um, so basically, he falsified an ancient druidic language with his own imagination and with help from um, opium, and then performed the, for the first um, corset ceremony. And to this day, it's still performed in a very druidic, sort of what's considered ancient way. So it's quite interesting to see how antiquarians have influenced modern, not just British, but modern Welsh um, ideas of the past and of what is Welsh and what is traditional. So yeah, I hope that was also interesting as well. So we're just going to go back to the original recording. Yeah, I think as annoying as it is, that treasure hunter aspect of archaeology was, was kind of necessary because it's only mm. through trial and error that I guess that you kind of learn the best methods to do it. And I mean, what I found quite interesting in my research was the fact that H.P. Lovecraft was an antiquarian. I never really realised that. Um, I also never knew that he was a massive racist, but you know, you learn something new every day. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it, I guess his books, are, his books are sort of viewed as like a mix between like the cosmic and the antiquarian which is quite an interesting mix. And I think, honestly, it's maybe like the origins of pseudo-archaeology. <laughs> just thinking about those aliens and the past. Mm, which, I right. mean, it makes sense because that is also grounded in racism. And H.P. Lovecraft was a massive racist, so it all fits. Yeah. all makes sense. <laughs> I think we're going to be doing an episode, aren't we, on on sort of pseudo archaeology and the the racist basis of it? Yes. Yeah, yeah we will. And we can talk cool. about oh that oh god, that's going to be one of an angry episode. It's going to yeah, it really is. Shall we talk now about the the problems with modern day museums? Like maybe they are quite different to what cabinets of curiosity started out to be but they are still quite problematic and they are still um commodifying different people's cultures and their histories and well 
basically a lot of the artifacts are stolen <laughs> there's no other way to put it they yeah. are stolen and then the museums are refusing to give them back yeah um yeah so yeah, that's I think an argument that everyone seems to be having at the minute there's so yeah, many people that are like oh we should keep them yeah no mm-hmm. absolutely not when um not doing I did that. an interview once where one of the things you had to like learn to discuss in the interview was the Elgin marbles and whether or not they should be returned. I was mm-hmm. just like, obviously give them back. Like, yeah. Why are we turning yeah. this into a discussion? I mean, the Elgin marbles are named after the Scottish nobleman who took them. <laughs> They're called the Parthenon marbles, and Greece would like them back. <laughs> they want them back. The flip side of that argument is that like if Elgin hadn't taken them then they would have been like just left to kind of ruin so yeah but like you never know they could have been taken by people in Greece technically he did do some like sneaky sneaky stuff so that he could get them out of Greece and to the UK they were like oh yeah take them we don't want them as much as that now he suggested yeah, that's what Heinrich Schliemann did as well, right? He was like fully just sneaking things out of the country. They're like, please yeah. don't take our stuff. And he was like, I absolutely will not take your stuff. <laughs> and then he took all their stuff. Yeah. It was like, but yeah. It's kind of a warning to me, isn't it? Yeah, the thing is, though, about museums and stuff, like, you go into a museum and there's so little British stuff in there. So it's not like. I guess if we gave everything back, everyone's sort of argument is, oh, we'll have nothing to fill the museums, but we will. Because I can't mm. imagine for a second that, say, like, Egypt or Greece, I cannot imagine them saying, no, you will never get to see these things again. Like, they, the Tutankhamun mm. stuff goes on tour constantly. Like, exactly. you can tour objects. The Manchester Museum stuff is currently on tour. <laughs> Like, it's, yeah. you are capable of touring things to show them to people. Like we're never going to be able to never see these things again. But you go into the sort of Bronze Age or stuff section, the British Museum, and there's maybe a tiny, tiny bit on British Bronze Age. So we, we, But we've got so much stuff for the British Bronze Age. We can fill the museums with British stuff rather than stolen objects from other countries. Yeah. And like they'll definitely come back on tour. We can still see them. Yeah, and even if we couldn't, even if there was nothing there, that's our problem. Like, yeah, exactly. Just yeah. There, that doesn't mean, like, having a full museum is not as important as giving people their history and heritage back. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, like, we've wreaked so much havoc on the world, it's like the least we could do is just give them back. Exactly. Yeah. Especially when One it's like um, human remains and stuff. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. One of the most prominent um, examples, it's been in the news quite a lot recently, is the um, Benin bronzes from Nigeria. So there's like Mm. thousands of artifacts and sculptures that um, British troops took from Benin, which is in modern day Nigeria. And um, they're on display in museums because they came back to the British Museum and then the British Museum sold some of them off. So they're in museums in the UK, Germany, Austria, and the US, but there's none in Nigeria, their country of origin. And the bronzes themselves were like visual archives of the kingdom, 
like that's what they use to like tell their history of like kingship and like political and social life and then <laughs> this is terrible nigeria has been asking the uk to return the bronzes for decades but um basically the british museum said they'll only loan them back they will not give them back they will loan them <laughs> they will loan them their own things back but only if they get them back again but then in cases where they've been sold on to other museums that's going to be basically impossible to get them back hmm. i think this is just concerning the ones that are in the british museum because there is yeah, a lot in the british but it said they'll loan them back the sculptures but they won't they won't give them back for good um yeah so that's great yeah not not, not very good from them one minute and um as recent as july 2020 the british museum said on the topic of repatriating um items back uh, we don't restitute but we are absolutely committed to lending as widely as possible including to nigeria the museum's foundational value resides in its breadth scale complexity and unity and as such is a true library of the world but it's a library of the world that people have to travel to to see their own history because we've stolen it all yep. yeah wow oh God, yeah there's such an issue with like western museums anyway like it was completely legal to show remains of Native Americans until like the 90s in America, they had like literal like ancestors of people who are still alive. Like these people could go to this museum and say, that is my great grandmother's remains. And it's on mm -hmm. show in a museum. Like until the 90s, that was completely fine. And it's just- It's just with entertainment. Yeah. To make money. It's completely insane. And I think this is, is it's just a big topic in archaeology at the moment because I think a lot of people are still on the fence about it because I think an archaeologist's natural sort of reaction to it is to want to show things in museums because that's sort of what we're, that's the sort of idea, isn't it? You dig things up, they go in a museum, that's how it works. But it's, it's, just, I just, it's just not morally correct, I don't think, at all. I think that's the problem with the argument is that like it's in our I guess um it's in our interest to keep them mm. because of mm. our careers and our discipline but morally yeah. like, <laughs> counterintuitive archaeologists want to not have things in museums but yeah. from like a moral standpoint I don't see how you could think anything else I think that's why they're struggling so much to kind of get stuff back because the only people really talking about it are archaeologists who directly kind of profit from them being there. And I mean, a lot of the times in the museums, the people there, well, basically all the time, the people there aren't the people affected by the artifacts being taken, like the curators and the people who work in the museum. They don't really have a vested interest in it, do they? They have a more vested interest in keeping the things there so they can make more money. Yeah, for now, I stand on there. Give them back. Definitely. So has anyone got anything else they want to say? Or I kind of wanted to just briefly talk about um, like modern day cabinets of curiosities that aren't museums. Um, yeah. And it's, I was kind of thinking, um, you know, there's those two like ghost hunters in America and they've got this huge museum full of supposedly haunted objects. And I just thought from a more modern viewpoint of the word curiosity, like it kind of is a very much 
a cabinet of curiosity with all these things stuffed into this room, like a haunted doll and all that kind of stuff. And that one in um, Hackney as well. I like that guy. He's just weird. Yeah, the Hackney one is hilarious. Um, <laughs> but I think it's it fits. Like He's got like Happy Meal toys as well as like human skulls and stuff. Yeah. He has gone through oh. like the whole world. <laughs> Maybe my RE teacher's old classroom might be a cabinet of curiosity. That dude had so much stuff. I think he might have been a hoarder. He had like <laughs> McDonald's toys everywhere. I think maybe that might count, because... I think that counts. Like, it was a lot. Yeah, I think my dad's house is sort of on the verge of being a cabinet of curiosity. <laughs> We've got stuff everywhere. There was a guy called Robert Gell who was um, sort of trying to argue that YouTube was a, a cabinet of curiosity as well. <laughs> um, like, the whole idea that it's a repository for everything that's slightly strange. But then couldn't um, you say the whole of the internet is a cabinet of curiosity? Yeah, I guess. I guess you could. He was arguing that YouTube no longer is, though, because um, like capitalism has basically taken over. <laughs> Couldn't you like compare that to museums then, by saying that like they're not cabinets of curiosity because museums rely on capital? Yes, definitely, one hundred percent. Yeah, I read some stuff about it being like the commodification of like culture and stuff like that, which I think rings quite true. Mm. Mm -hmm. But is it making it more accessible to the public? Because obviously, cabinets of curiosity back in the day were not particularly accessible to the public. Are museums good because a lot of people can go and see this stuff? Or is it bad because it is a commodification? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, on, like most museums in the UK are free, but mm. you have to travel to them. Yeah. And then we go back to like all of these stolen things. You have to travel to like London to see something that was taken from like whatever country yeah i don't really know in terms of like the internet as well would museums be able to go online would that solve the problem if everything went back but then there was just online museums because obviously photography and things like that are so clear now that everything would be able to be like 3d they have a lot of things online anyway like a lot of the british museum yeah. will have occasionally they'll have um, collections or um, I don't know like things that are online specifically for a theme yeah and they'll have them all on like a 3d yeah 3d thing but like they did with like we talked about in the cave art episode with Lascaux they could do that with museums and put the whole thing online so you could like theoretically walk through the museum on your computer yeah. and have that experience but then they well. money. yeah exactly money so you'd probably have to pay to do the it online walkthrough of the museum. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if we're talking about it in the sense of like, it's free um, information for everybody, we get rid of the idea of it being so yeah. capital, then mm -hmm. that's the option, I think. A lot of it, it's like donations and stuff that make most of their money, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but I just mean like footfall through the, like, the cafes and stuff and the gift shops. I'm not uh, sure how yeah. much money you yeah. make through that. I'm assuming it might be quite a bit. Yeah, no, it will be. Like, put it all online, there's like people who work in museums obviously aren't going to have jobs in museums mm. anymore. They're all online. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's kind of, there's no good answer. No. 
amazing question. Yeah, I really think someone should just start like an ethical museum, one museum where everything is not stolen, it's like been loaned or it's just meant to be there or whatever. Because, yeah, we need to start Wait, doing that. Would the Jorvik Center be like an ethical museum then? Oh my god, I bet it is. <laughs> We love the Jorvik sensor. Jorvik is brilliant. I love Jorvik. <laughs> the only, the only acceptable museum is the Jorvik museum. Absolutely. It's, it's the like museum. animatronic Vikings that do it for me. They're beautiful. So oh. We need to go back. I missed that um, animatronic figure thing that looks like Bruce Willis. It was perfect. It was beautiful. I missed Stunning. the guy angrily wielding like a cabbage. That was good. Nice. Wasn't there an animatronic rat? Am I making that up? I'm pretty sure there was a rat. I don't think there was. There was one. Vibing. <laughs> vibing. Let's Amazing. go back to the museum. On a really depressing note, I guess an ethical museum is probably something like the Holocaust museums. Um, like there's one in Berlin and then there's obviously some in Poland. And I guess they're um they're not relying on stolen objects well i suppose they are to a degree um yeah, but like they haven't stolen them off another country and then refuse to give them yeah. back like i think a lot of it we need to sort of we definitely need to shift the focus of our museums from oh hey look at this really pretty thing we stole from egypt to look at what we we did in the past we can't ever go back to what we were doing yeah. Like we need to, because that's the sort of the, the purpose of Holocaust museums, isn't it? Like to, hey, look at this atrocity that was committed by people on other people. And um, we can't ever let ourselves get to that point again. And we need yeah. to, because I think there's especially, there's a, a problem with um, like racism coming back and the far right coming back in Britain as well. We need to sort of be more active on making sure that people remember what was done in the past and yeah. never ever to go back to that. So museums probably could become quite a good area for that sort of debate and that sort of highlighting of the issues to be centred. Yeah, yeah, if they were more transparent and honest. It'd be so easy for all the objects that we have, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, if they just shifted the narrative from, oh, look at all these pretty things that we mm. found, that we just yeah. found, we didn't, we didn't steal them, we just found them, to like look at all the stuff that the British Empire and colonialism stole from people and look, I think there's a massive thing in Britain, not just in museums, but in the education system as well, which completely underplays the atrocities of the British Empire. It really yeah. just like digs it up as like, wow, look how much of the world we took over. And like they're like proud of it, but they never talk about how horrific it was and like yeah. all the terrible things that happened during it. And they just sort of like take these things and like put them in big museums and like we deserve to have these, but they absolutely don't. Yeah, like there's a guy in America who has um he's got a Jim Crow museum, and he mm. just collects loads of racist like memorabilia, I guess. So signs that say like you know whites only and things, and it's everyone that goes to it says that it's this absolutely horrifying experience, but they come out of it with a new sense of what they need to do themselves to stop yeah. that from happening again. And it's just, I think that's something that's more important now than yeah. anything else to do with museums. That like we just, we have to make sure that people realize the basis of our museums and what they were built on and 
to try and you know make sure that we never get to that point again yeah so they're less of like a feel-good experience and more of a bit of a harsher educational yeah yeah i think that's what we need we need self-reflection on what this country's done what it's still doing mm-hmm. and the ways in which that we can stop that so is that a good note to end on a I very so. poignant so. note to end on thank you everyone for listening um next time we'll be back for d which i believe will be dawson and we should be having a very special guest on very exciting i'm i mean everyone knows dawson who the special guest will be but just for just for the sake of it we'll keep it a secret yeah get a prize (laughs) (laughs) right okay thank you all for listening goodbye see ya bye